Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome to another instalment in our debut Spotlight series, where we shine a light on the freshest authors and their work. Today we are talking about the incredible debut novel by Madeline Gray, Green Dot. It's already creating so much buzz in the bookish world and has been described as a daring and boisterous novel about finding love where you shouldn't. We follow Hera, a violently unsatisfied disaster, as she embarks on the affair of a lifetime. Madeline Gray is a writer and critic from Sydney. She has a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature and Art History from the University of Sydney, an MST in English from the University of Oxford, and is a PhD candidate at the University of Manchester, researching contemporary women's autobiographical literary theory. That is a mouthful. Her writing... Her writing has featured in Overland, The Guardian, The Sydney Morning Herald, Australian Book Review and The Times Literary Supplement, amongst others. She was a 2021 finalist for the Walkley Pascal Prize for Arts Criticism and her debut novel Green Dot was published by Alan and Unwin in Australia in October and will be out in the UK on the 1st of February, published by W&N because I cannot pronounce the full name. We are thrilled to have Madeline joining us today. Welcome to a pair of bookends. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I also can't pronounce it and I can't spell it. And every time I try to do it, I spell it differently. So we're all Um, good. We're all good here. I'm so glad. Yeah. You're all in the same boat. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we love to start our podcasts with our favourite question, which is what are you currently reading? Okay, so... (laughs) So I also work as a literary critic as well as a writer and I just got asked, which I'm yeah, I'm very excited about to interview um, Anne Enright at the Sydney Opera House in a few months. Oh, very exciting. Um, but that means that I have to become like a, you know, verifiable Anne Enright expert in the next two months. I've already read like a few of her books, but like not as many as I should have. So I'm doing that. So at the moment I just read The Wren, The Wren, her most recent book that's so getting good. a lot of hype, which is beautiful beautiful book um about the kind of legacy of one man's one man's self-interest hurting generations of women um yeah yeah, so I just read that one and now I've just started the actress which is another one of her books so I'm on an Anne Enright train she's she's so great uh we interviewed her last year and what we were expecting yeah what we were expecting was this serious literary person and we were so scared and what we got was this like loud hilarious Irish woman oh thank was god just, she's so yes, brilliant she like her. just not what I expected at all like so mm-hmm. funny um she was dropping like jokes about like Irish culture and about religion and like nuns left right and center and there was like one joke that was totally missed on us because neither of us are religious and she like she made this joke about nuns and then we our faces were just completely blank and she was like nope didn't get that right okay <laughs> just, like totally <laughs> Brilliant. Oh my god! Okay, thank God because I've been like terrified because no, obviously she's, she's a very big deal. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> You're safe. Yeah. So cool. She's so chill, and I yeah. loved the run, the run, and I loved um, actress. Yeah, and I'm trying to work my way through her backlist when I have time to read, which um, is a long backlist. She's yeah. written so it's many massive. books. She's written so much, but yeah, yeah, everything that she writes is gold, in my opinion. She's she's excellent. Yeah, no, I'm loving it. Just I think that like. Irish older women's short hair are my personal demographic. So <laughs> yeah. I think that it's going to be all right. I yeah. 
I just love Irish fiction in general. Like, I just need to know that yeah, it's by an Irish too. author and I'm sold. I Literally, don't... I was reading a book. Do you know um, Nothing Special? It's by Nicole Flattery and it's set in New York about Warhol in that time. And I was like, why do I love this? And then I looked at her up and I was like, oh, she's Irish. Right. Yes, so good. Yeah. <laughs> so in our debut spotlight episodes, we love to ask what our debut author's journey has been like in terms of the writing process in getting their novel published. So could you tell us a bit more about your experience and what that's been like? Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty wild. Like I said, I've worked in literary criticism for a while and I actually just handed in my PhD today. <gasps> so I'm celebrating oh, a big yay. day. Oh yeah, my God. thank you for celebrating with me. Um, <laughs> but I, yes, I've been writing about literary fiction for a long time and I was in Manchester doing my PhD and then COVID happened and I tried to stick it out but I kind of, you know, had a mental breakdown as one does and I <laughs> flew back to Sydney and then I was pretty pretty devo here for a while and I started working at a bookshop part-time for something to just to see other people because a PhD is a pretty solitary experience. As I was doing that and doing my PhD I kind of then another lockdown happened and I was living alone so it was pretty shitty time and I just kind of started writing Green Dot to make myself laugh just to kind of have a glass of wine and write something funny and be like, God, you're hilarious, Maddie, like to myself, slowly going <laughs> insane. And it kind of, I just wrote it, I gave myself a deadline of about a year. I was like, just have something done in a year. And um, then I sent the manuscript off to an agent who I hadn't met yet, just being like, is this, is this anything? And she was like, yeah, that, that's something for sure. And she was in London at the time for the London Book Fair and she was like, do you mind if I sell it now? And I hadn't met her. And I was like, yeah, no, you can do that. Yeah, go for it. Uh, um, and then she, like, sold it within, like, a day. And then I had a book deal. Uh, so it's it's a pretty wild story. But that's that's my story. Yeah, yeah that's not the usual, like, typical <laughs> debut author story. <laughs> I would lose my mind if somebody said, yeah, can I just sell this for you? I'd be like, yes. <laughs> it was fucking wild. It was, I mean, and I was still working in the bookshop and I was trying to get like Wi-Fi in the storeroom at the, you know, the top of the shop to like talk to Grace who was in London and she was at some party with Mick Jagger and she's like, I'm here with Mick. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And yeah, and then that happened and then it sold in, in other territories and I was like, well, this is, it's a bit different. <laughs> How did you manage to get any work done that day? Like, <laughs> oh, I'm sure I was insufferable with my colleagues. Yeah, I was just <laughs> flitting around the store, being like, "I'm actually really important, so can someone else shelve this?" Stop. One day you'll be shelving my book. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You I was like, I'm actually very. Very famous author. So if you could um, do the wrapping of the art books in the back, that would be really helpful to me. You said that you, and obviously I said before about you studying your PhD at the University of Manchester. That is Manchester in the yeah. UK, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Represent. Love that. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm I was in Manchester girl. for about a year. Are you? Oh, yeah. Mancunian. Well, yes. love to see you. I'm very, I'm very, very fond of Manchester. I love that place. Obviously, the pandemic was not cool, but it's an excellent city. I And just, I had the best time there before all hell broke loose. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. I 
read you'd written something about Manchester and I was like I'm pretty sure you but I think there's a Manchester in America so it always throws me a little bit um, there is yes there yeah, was like a so, Ben Affleck film about it uh, is that what Manchester, <laughs> like by, Manchester the sea? by the sea oh yeah. I did yeah I've not watched it so I didn't know what, what that did was you a... think they were they were in Greater Manchester by the sea <laughs> did I yeah I but... now <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, like the canal, yeah. Um, That's a completely different film. But when when I read what you'd written about Manchester, it was ticking all the boxes. You were like, it's dark, it's cold. I was like, yeah, that sounds like us. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, definitely that Manchester. Yeah. yeah. Are you are you going to return at any point, or are you are you like done with us now? Yeah, no, I'm so excited. Actually, so I'm going to the UK next week for three weeks for a book tour. And one of the stops is Manchester. So I'm going to do a talk at Manchester Deansgate, which I'm very excited about because when I lived in Manchester, I worked as a bookseller there. So it's a nice full circle. Where did you work at? Yeah, yeah, at, at, um, uh, God, I was about to say Witherspoons. Waterstones. Uh, Waterstones. (laughs) Waterstones, Deansgate. No way. Oh, my gosh. That's so exciting. We love Waterstones on Deansgate and we love Martha there. So shout out to Martha. Yes, Martha is doing the, yes, Martha is doing the talk. Oh, well, we must Ah! come. We must come. We must. We must must meet you in person. (laughs) Yes, please. Date arranged. <laughs> I forgot, Hannah, we're meant to be doing a podcast and not starting out, so shall I? That's good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But there you go. So, I mean, if it's not obvious by now, we quite enjoyed the book. <laughs> <laughs> we loved it. And it's a brilliant, witty, and slightly acerbic and brilliant narrative. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about you were saying uh, obviously about your uh, your PhD is in is, uh, let me get this right autobiographical oh women's literary theory nailed it crushed it yeah thank you so much thank you so much yeah <laughs> I went to university yeah <laughs> and that um, is clear it is it is and this book and Hera herself feels so natural and here is our um, main character they feel so natural and true to life did you delve into aspects of your own life to inform this book? Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's always tempting to be like, no, it's all fiction, I made it all up. But I think all fiction is autobiographical to an extent. And a first novel, I don't know how people don't make it to some extent autobiographical because it's essentially the novel you've been trying to write for your whole life. Well, at least for me it was. So I definitely took elements of, like I think my humour is just Hera's humour. That's I can't even suggest that it's otherwise. But then I wanted to take kind of things that I'd experienced and then kind of, what's the word, refract them into into other experiences that I haven't had and then kind of extend them further. So like I'd experienced extreme heartbreak, like I hadn't been in an affair, but I'd been with a very disappointing man. Um, <laughs> and and I just thought, what's kind of, yeah, it happens to the best of us. So I thought, what's kind of like, how can we just like compound that? You know, so I'm always looking what's what's a situation in which emotions that I want to deal with would be at their most volatile and wild. And that's kind of how the book began. And you also, like Hera, have done three arts degrees. Is that right? <laughs> yes, yes. I absolutely have done these. Well, I love learning, you know. I'm, I'm a learner. Yeah, don't we all? But, um, don't we all? We love to learn. But I, like Hera, don't really like working... Uh, corporate jobs working full stop but working corporate jobs and I managed to avoid it mostly I did have a short time working in an office it wasn't really corporate but um from that time 
And from all of the anecdotes and experiences of my friends, I managed to piece together a kind of workplace texture that informs very much the first half of the book, which is really depressing, but also very funny because offices are just so wild that they exist. Yeah, I love the... I I didn't actually know where you were taking me. I'm not going to lie. So when I heard about your book, I was expecting this like very serious affair novel and... uh, that's not what you gave me and I love you for it <laughs> because I I am going to talk about this in a moment but I love any kind of story about affairs and get very excited about them and that's all I kind of need to know in order to pick up a book or to watch a TV show is that there's an affair storyline in there and I'm like okay sold but when I started this book I was like oh you're taking me on a different journey and when it started in the workplace I was like this is so this is golden you know she doesn't want to start a job or be in the real world as it you know as you say and then you give her this really brutal job as a content as content moderator is that how you describe yeah, it yeah comment moderator potato <laughs> potato yeah it's, it's a really brutal job and i don't know if that's because i've read the book have you read the book we had to remove this post yes i have yeah, yeah. uh so i've read that yeah, and when I that like, came out i was like <laughs> damn it <laughs> <laughs> But it's so dark. And I was like, yeah. oh God, she's got this really awful job. But then you had so much fun with that. And it's just, it was really kind of of the times in the sense that we are quite desensitized to so much stuff in the world now. And like, how awful is that? But like, how darkly funny is that? Yeah, I loved the way that you that you captured that. But I do want to talk about affairs because uh, as <laughs> I, said, I, I love an affair um, and I do want to signpost our listeners to the article that you wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald which is about the evil mistress trope I quote mm-hmm. um, which I thought you explored in this really thoughtful and considered way and it is just a really great article so I'm going to link that in the show notes for our listeners to read oh, as well and as I've already said our listeners will have heard me say this many times so I am sorry that they're, they've heard this again of how much we love affair storylines. Um, but why do you think we find them so exciting and and why did you want to write about one? Well, yeah, so it kind of, it goes back again to the literary criticism. So that's the thing I keep saying, boring. But um, for years I had been absolutely fascinated by affair novels and particularly intergenerational affair novels. And there are a lot of them about. I'm not suggesting that Green Dot is, is the first one in the genre. But the idea that, a young woman in particular who ostensibly has the whole world at her feet, particularly now, not necessarily 100 years ago when she had no work rights, but that she would choose to be the other woman to an older man who is normative and pretty boring and, like, doesn't offer that much except the idea of a narrative that she already knows. It's kind of, you know, like falling into safety. And I kind of want, I love exploring why someone would put aside other opportunities for the prospect of stability. That was the first thing. And then secondly, I think affairs are just the most ripe interpersonal dynamic because the idea of monogamy is like one of the most sacrosanct kind of promises we have in, at least in Western society, but in most societies. And the idea of breaking that um, often gets a gut reaction of moral like repugnance from most people. Though I wanted to look at a perspective of the other woman who's mostly um, ignored in representations of this kind of dynamic and see why someone would do something that's so hated in society. What are the good bits about an affair? Why would someone do it? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, well, firstly, I need to know what your favourite affair novels are, because that's important. I need recommendations. Absolutely, please. So, uh, yes, I love this, yes. Um, <laughs> so I think, I mean, let's start with Luster, Raven Lalani, which you probably have read. Very Excellent good. affair novel. Then I would go Susan Choi, My Education. <gasps> that's on my shelf. Excellent news. <laughs> it is. I've not read it yet. So <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, it's just brilliant. She's I've now read all of her books and she's mm. I hadn't even heard of her before that book and it's so good. And then I would go I think there's an Australian author, Jessie Two, who wrote a book called A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing, mm. which has a really good affair kind of subplot in it. And then it's not so much an affair, but it is kind of intergenerational, a bit weird. I, I love um, Lisa Halliday's Asymmetry. I haven't heard which, of that. It's really good. It's like um, it's kind of a, a novel in two parts. The first half is like set in New York about a young woman who falls for an older kind of Philip Roth-esque character and then the second half totally turns the novel on its head and it's kind of like a babushka doll. It's like very mind-tricky. It's great. Ooh. Excellent. I'm adding all of these yeah. to my wish list, but I have, have yeah. got my education <laughs> on my on my shelf and that is going to be going straight to the top of my pile now excellent news straight in my basket straight Mm. in my basket yeah (laughs) was there a second part to that because you said firstly I want to ask you about I did say firstly but that my brain but there was there was not a second my brain my brain doesn't work we know this my brain just goes nope that's done with now sorry I just thought (laughs) I best check (laughs) so I am also a bookseller at Waterstones (laughs) Stop it. <laughs> oh my gosh, which one? I work at the cruise store. So it's like Oh my gosh, yes. And I really loved the way that you spoke about the kind of microcosm of a bookstore and what you can get from a bookstore and how working in a bookstore can sometimes just almost save your life because it really did with me. Yeah. And it's incre- it's such a brilliant you wrote an article about it. Where, where, what was that from? The Guardian. Um, yeah, The Guardian. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, again, we'll link that in the show notes because it's just an incredible article about like how mental it is looking in a bookshop. But I really, I wanted to ask you about like, obviously, Harry gets to go and work in retail. What did you want to say about working in retail by putting her in those places? Yeah, so I mean, the first half of the book, Fee is attempting to live an adult life, as she sees it, get on some kind of career trajectory that might take her to like a reputable place that people will respect and her dad will think she's impressive. (laughs) And that all turns to hell in a handbasket. And in the second half of the book, or really the third third of the book, she's kind of attempting to rebuild her life in the wake of Um, immense disappointment and she kind of decides that in retail work even though it has all of the problems that we associate with retail work like precarity and everyone's rude to you like customers at least and um you know it can be a bit of a terrible time it also has like immense dignity because it's like the most honest work you can do which is you are selling products that have been created by people to other people and there's something yeah dignified about that Mm -hmm. and what she finds in that workplace is a sense of community with her colleagues because they're all kind of not so caught up in a capitalist agenda of seeing work as the embodiment of their like human spirit they see it as something that that they do but it doesn't define them and so yeah I wanted to to see her 
in a workplace where she was able to be herself as well as a worker. Yeah, yeah. I Absolutely. think so, some of my favourite moments in the book were in the the workplaces, and I think especially in the when she was working in the shop, and I think her friendship with I want to say Harry, but I feel like that's off. Have I made that up? Oh it's my god, Harry. I think it is Harry. I'm pretty is sure. It? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm like, I, I could be wrong that. because I've heard Hera and I've associated with H. I'm looking. <laughs> oh I should know. It's because I went through like five different names for that character to find the right one. And I'm like, I, I think it's that. Harry. I think I landed on Harry. <laughs> but, I, but I love the moments where they they'll like have little in-jokes while they're working and it'll be like trying to slip a word into the sale to somebody. I'm now panicking, mm-hmm. having a mild panic inwardly that I'm actually mixing up your Guardian article with something you said in there with the book, but I'm pretty certain this happened in the book. No, no, no that definitely okay. happens in the book. Yeah, I think, in, <laughs> I think in the book they try and slip in, like, reminds me of that summer in New York yes. into every conversation. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> so which is good. simply a Florence and the Machine lyric. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just saying yeah, I went to jail and I... I do use those, um, we do use those games when we are bored. (laughs) Constantly. I think I started doing it where I kind of got the idea for that joke was when I was like a lot younger, I used to do debating in high school and we'd have this thing where we had to get like a particular reference into every person's speech throughout the debate. And it would always be something horrendous. Like there's, I don't know if you know this, but there's an, an Australian serial killer called Ivan Malat. Oh and uh just every single speech we had to somehow slip in Ivan Milat as relevant oh, so you'd be talking about like budget cuts or something you'd be like much like a budget cut like Ivan Milat will slit your throat like it just it didn't <laughs> make any sense so yeah that's that was the inspiration but no, no, that's fine. people don't question it people just accept what you've they said don't. To they're like yeah yeah okay. and you're like I've just said something absolutely bonkers to you that was wild like you How should care you <laughs> yeah um, i can confirm it's harry that my favorite colleague is a guy called harry who's 22 yes really excellent me. we did it we did it joe <laughs> um <laughs> i know i really loved their their dynamic because i worked in restaurants for like i don't know like 11 years or something ridiculous all throughout it was my first job out of school and then i was there throughout college uni and then it was like my first adult job because they find a way to to keep you there and um mm-hmm. there's nothing like you know the, the colleagues that you meet in those sorts of jobs like they literally keep you going and you know we used to yeah. do the silliest things like we'd there was a couple of us that were actors and we'd like have a whole thing where we'd choose an accent for that day and then we'd have to do our whole day in that accent and it's just the stupidest things but it's the like it's exactly what keeps you going when people are being really shitty to you when you're like why am I spending 12 hours running up down up and down stairs with trays of food like it's just the worst but those are the people that keep you going through those things and I felt like you showed that so well on the page I hope so yeah and for Hera in her yeah comment moderation a lot of people in her workplace are terrible but I wanted her to have a work bestie mailing she's great because yeah if you don't have a work best friend you god it's dire times yeah yeah Yeah. then I wanted the the, sorry go on it's all right I was just saying like you need someone that you can walk in with and be like I want to die (laughs) and they're like me too yeah okay exactly yeah yeah but then the tension with with Hera is that she 
is best use of Mei Ling, but also she can't tell her her like main truth at that time, which is falling in love with this guy called Arthur, who's their boss ostensibly. So it's like with workplace relationships, sometimes you can love someone and know someone so much on one level and then on another level know absolutely nothing about them at all. And I wanted to, to get that through as well. Yeah, because I think Harris, she says at one point that she like she can decide what she tells people and she has this mm-hmm. kind of power of like, I can say as much as I want to say and they won't know or question any further. Mm-hmm. And there is yeah. that kind of like agency to it almost where you can be like, you know what, I don't have to tell you about my life. I don't have to tell you about anything. Mm-hmm. And it's, just, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Yeah, oh, thank you. It's not a skill I have in my own life, but uh, I love that for Hera, yeah. You can't tell already, I am an oversharer. Yeah, yeah. we know, we know. Really so am I. I really want to talk um, about, I've gone formal again, I'm sorry, but I have to get us back on track somehow. (laughs) We'll have you forever otherwise. So there is a particular thing that struck me in your book, which is the the father-daughter relationship in the book. And Mm. I think it's the most positive representation of a father-daughter dynamic that I've ever read. And it really struck me when reading that, like how rare that is to see in, in culture. Like it's it's actually crazy to me that I've not really read that before. Yeah. And there was a moment that particularly moved me was when, and I've got this written down, when Hera says, none of my friends seem to need their parents, whereas I need my dad so much. And it was just the smallest mm-hmm. line, but it, it made me so like emotional. Why was it important for you to write their dynamic in this way? Um, well, I think like what you said, I, again, autobiography coming through. I, I'm obsessed with my dad. I love my dad. He's the best person in the world. And I didn't see any representations of good father-daughter relationships, really, especially when the woman in question makes questionable romantic choices because then the assumption is that she has daddy issues and you know it's all some Freudian reaction to like a terrible thing that's happened in her past um so I wanted her to have a really healthy relationship with her dad so that was you know the daddy issues were put out to pasture but also I needed a relationship that was just pure mm-hmm. in the book that was just love And it is that with her friends, but also, you know, they have their own judgments, their own lives, they're all going through stuff. And with her dad, it's just like a really simple kind of reciprocal respect and love. And so I wanted him to be like the litmus test in the book for Hera's moral journey. So, you know, when she disappoints herself or her friends, that's bad. But if she disappoints her dad, who is just, you know, light personified, you know that she's really... (laughs) taken a, a dangerous turn and also I just I love to get to talk to my talk about my dad on on podcasts and in interviews so maybe it was that as well <laughs> no I, lo- I love that and I thought their relationship was so beautiful and this isn't we get the sense as readers that that it wasn't a particularly great time growing up and we don't quite find out mm-hmm. what the exact relationship is with her mother and what exactly happened there but we know that it wasn't great in terms of the parents not liking each other and you know you do mention in the book that her father has to fight for custody of her and I hope that's mm. not too much of a spoiler to say that and um, but you really get a yeah. sense that he he really wants to have custody of Hera and I, it's rare to read that as well you know it's usually that the mother is left with the children and um, so that was also really nice to see that representation mm. but there is yeah. a quote that I 
that I circled in the book, not circled like I didn't do a big fat circle. It is just, I am annoying and I do dog ear pages and I do. I do that too. Excellent news. Thank you. Lydia, yeah, right. and I you are in the minority, all, Lydia, yeah. so just get when over it. When am I going to find someone that likes to keep the books tidy? When? Never. When? Never. No, mine are like covered tabs. in bolognese. No. Excellent. <laughs> I'm a guest. So there's a there's a quote that I really want to read out, and I hope you don't mind me reading your book back to you. Please, your accent is lovely. I enjoy all of this. <laughs> so, but it's about she's talking about the man that she's having an affair with, and it's about his kind of emotions and the way he handles his own emotions. And I just thought it was so I, I can't even explain. It was just oh my god, amazing. There are no words except the feeling that it evoked in me and I literally took a picture of this quote and put it on Instagram and I was just like oh my god like no notes Madeline no notes (laughs) so I'm gonna read it when he doesn't want to talk about whatever is bothering him as he's typing away his shoulders will hunch and he'll become the tiniest bit snappy and I'll say that he's fine but clearly he's not and I love this that is I love the idea that maybe he actually is not conscious of his own moods that maybe he truly does not recognize how transparent his irritation is to me I'm always so extremely, extremely aware of my own mood and everyone else's. Growing up with parents who hated each other, I've been trained from infancy in reading body language and intonation, in sensing the emotions vibrating in a room and then moderating relations between parties. And I just... (laughs) That is just... I have been trying to describe that feeling my whole life. And, you know, that's probably me bringing my own trauma onto the podcast. You're welcome, everyone. (laughs) We love the trap. <laughs> but genuinely, having my parents at each other's throats when I was younger, like that is the after effects of that are gonna be there for the kind of the rest of my life. But that is that is it, you know, it's not that I'm deeply traumatized and I'm <laughs> crying about it every day, but it is those little those little things and the ways that it impacts you. And that was just so perfectly mm. articulated. And I just, I loved it so much. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, and like, because when you are that way and you're so aware of Mm -hmm. everyone's emotions in a room because you're trying to be a peacekeeper and make sure everyone's happy or or not truly, truly unhappy or angry, when you meet someone, usually a man, who doesn't have that skill, it can be either frustrating or like so peaceful you know because it's like this guy has literally no idea what's happening like there could be two people fighting in front of him but like passive aggressively and he wouldn't be able to read it and that's like kind of really exciting because it's Mm. like what what world does he live in it's kind of mysterious yeah I would also find that incredibly frustrating like my boyfriend is not like that but I would find that very frustrating in terms of like why do you not understand that I'm irritated and I need you to ask me if I'm okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. read the subtext <laughs> yeah that says a lot about me doesn't it <laughs> no I think we all feel that it's like very frustrating when someone can't but but yeah, at the same time, it kind of can be like seeing, you know, like to use a Tina Fey, like seeing a teacher out of school. It's like, what, what is happening here? Yeah. How are you so oblivious? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Now, I desperately need to talk to you about Arthur. Um, mm. Because how, despite all of the warning signs that perhaps he's not the best person to embark on a relationship with, Hira can't really resist him. He's a person that we only see through 
her eyes you know we don't have his perspective written from his perspective in the book at all was this kind of single perspective narrative important to you to have yeah I absolutely because like I mean clearly I I well maybe maybe I'm not maybe I don't have the talents to do it but I think I could probably do some other perspectives <laughs> but um I think that what I wanted this book to be was kind of an embodiment of the kind of solipsism involved in falling in love even though it is usually two people maybe five you know no judgment here but I wanted to get into the mind of someone who was so entrenched in this journey of falling that she we don't know if her judgments are correct or not mm-hmm. you know like her view of Arthur is that he is a wonderful brilliant man that she's enamored by and if we went into his brain we might see a whole lot of things that would totally um shatter that facade so that was definitely a choice and I think I've, I've been thinking a lot about like why Hera cares about Arthur why she falls in love with him and I've tried to explain this and I think the best way I can come up with it is I'm like a real kind of mistress, but um, I I think that he treats her with some level of intellectual respect, and it's not that he always says the right thing ideologically, but it's that he never says the wrong thing, mm-hmm. and I think she's so used to men in particular just like stepping in it and saying things that are so off and weird and with him he just doesn't do that, and that's a huge relief to her to be talking to a man who is not like objectively terrible and such a low bar but um she and and because she meets him in such a space of desperation in this job it is kind of incredible for her to meet him and then she attaches everything that she wants in her life to this one man I think there's also something to be said about the fact that they meet in a job that I mean we don't know if he hates his job but she certainly hates hers and he's the person that she connects with the most in this job. Obviously, she has Mei Ling, but they have this just kind of next level connection. And mm-hmm. he's the kind of thing that keeps her going and that excites her when she yeah. doesn't kind of know what she's doing with her life. And I wonder, you know, maybe if she hadn't have met him in this space, would she have felt this way? Yeah, no, I think absolutely not. I mean, you know, perhaps something would have percolated in a different kind of way, but the intensity of it is certainly, I see you know, a visual of darkness and then there's a pinprick of, of possibility. So, of course, you're going to go for that. Mm-hmm. instead of the void and yeah uh, yeah I really enjoyed that the, they were sat at this desk and that they had this like metaphorical like barrier between them um yeah but a literal barrier <laughs> as well and, and exactly yeah, it, it made it more exciting <laughs> yeah absolutely something I'm very pleased with with the UK cover of the book is that like on the front hair is there and then there's the spine and then Arthur's on the back so they're once again divided which I'm like Excellent. yes perfect it's it's so good yeah. it's just I find that I really I didn't want him to be a bad guy and I feel like yeah. you do a really good job of even though objectively I can look at it and be like yeah that's that's a stupid decision that you're making there mm-hmm. like I was like oh my gosh he's replied oh he's online <laughs> I was full on for it mm-hmm. I mean what mm-hmm. that says about me I don't know but I was <laughs> I was full on like on you get so because you you feel like you are here right? you you get so obsessed along with her and you get so excited and you you really follow that journey through Mm -hmm. and I just think you do that so well because I was literally like I'd put down the book and then I'd be like I really need to just know what happened I need to know who's going to (laughs) reply like I couldn't I I I was obsessed with myself 
I was massively I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that's what I hope for because like, yeah, otherwise the book's not going to be that interesting to you if, if you're not <laughs> rooting for them. Um, but yeah, you have to kind of suspend disbelief, which is what all falling in love is, but particularly in this dynamic when it's a man who already has a partner. And yeah, I mean, the whole, it's called the Green Dot. Sorry, it's called Green Dot. The book's called Green Dot, lol. Because, you know, it's that pulsating light of desire. And it's obviously when you can see someone's online, but it's the the Gatsby-esque light at the end of the dock, the waiting for someone who promises nothing. And um, you so often in life just do things that you know are going to probably turn out terribly, but what if they don't? That's how I live my life. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, it happens. Yeah. I also think we'll that... Obviously, the book is literally advertised as like an affair novel. I knew it was going to be an affair novel going into it. That's mainly one of the reasons why I wanted to pick it up and I was so excited to read it. But the way that we find out, it was almost like I'd forgotten and it had like gone into my subconscious. You know, the moment that she realizes that actually, no, he's with somebody else is just the most mm-hmm. gut wrenching moment. And I'm not going to give any spoilers, but mm-hmm. just the way that you wrote that. Oh my God. And I, I, I knew it was coming. I knew this is what was going to happen. <laughs> and yet it still got me when, when she so finds out. She, so does she. She knows. Yeah. I think subconsciously she knows that I, I feel like you you would just sort of pick up on the vibes of like, mm. this. Mm. there's something off about him. There's something not quite right, but I'm going to ignore There's something it. not being said. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that he's omitting. He's not lying, but he's omitting something. Mm. And I think that that's, it's really interesting. And like you said, Hannah, like there are some moments in the book, particularly this one revelation a bit later in the book, it was like a punch in the stomach. I was like, oh, no. Even though I kind of knew like half a paragraph before what was yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, mm. just say it's not the thing I think it is. And yeah. then it was. And then I was furious. But I was also like, we could make it work. No, in, in <laughs> my in my proof, it was at the end of a page um oh, yeah. where you kind of knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't I can't turn the page. I cannot turn this page because I know mm-hmm. what is coming. And I mm-hmm. like, no, absolutely not. So we're not giving any spoilers, but oh my no. god. But there's a moment that you have to keep going for, let me tell you. <laughs> I know my editor with that one was like must we and I was like we must <laughs> <laughs> so good so good um now I we've we've already made it very obvious how much we love the book you know our conversation has just been a series of us going oh my god and screaming but I I felt that you captured modern life and I think I've already said this but in the most unbelievably smart and witty way and I enjoyed it so much, you know, with the the language that you chose to use, the the phrases, the way that you explored modern dating and sort of the dialogue between characters as well. I just love it when writers can write good dialogue. It's just, there's nothing quite like it. Um, but there was also a quite unique dialogue that I felt between Hera uh, and the reader. How did you go about creating that? Well, I played around with lots of different ways of, of doing that. And it was, is it a kind of like general diaristic vibe where she's speaking to herself but potentially to someone else and I was like nah I reckon it's more interesting if she speaks directly to the radar if she's kind of like pleading with the radar to not judge her even as though they're judging her because I think part of Harry's appeal hopefully is that she is self-aware enough to know that all of her decisions are problematic 
And if she's kind of like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? She's parlaying with, with the reader. She's, she's kind of like grasping at straws to make them keep going, even though she knows they probably find her a bit, a bit repugnant. And um, I wanted to to break that fourth wall a lot. And then it's also there's opportunity for jokes with um with that kind of narration. Like at one point, I can't remember when it is in the book, but she says something like about another character in the book had you know had Soph even been listening? Had she even been reading? Like as if the suggestion is that we're all kind of aware that this is a narrative that's that's being told. And that kind of yeah, I really wanted to play into that idea of narrativizing your own life and uh, telling your life like it's a story, like it's a bit. I wanted to, yeah, to play with that. No, I loved it and I loved the way that she'd be like, if you know, you know, or like yeah. just things like that. And it was just, I was like, oh, is she talking to me? Like <laughs> it proper she like, is. it made yes. me like, oh, okay, when it first happened. But I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. And I don't think I've read anything quite like it amazing oh thank you I'm glad I was just like as I was writing it I was like is this galling so that's nice so good it was great I love I love the bit where um she's kind of they're talking about oh you know it's like Bridget Jones because you're falling in love with someone in the office and she was like yeah but that makes him Daniel Cleaver and he's really horrible so I don't want him to be Daniel Cleaver so and then gradually over the course of paragraph she'd convinced herself that something maybe he is Mark Darcy (laughs) and I'm like I, I do that a lot. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. What I want. So I'm just going to change that. I'm going to kind of reorient myself. And, yeah. <laughs> too funny, honestly. There are so many moments of that. So, so many moments where I actually laughed out loud. It's really mm. difficult for me to get, for me to either cry at a book or laugh at a book. And yeah, there were moments I looked a bit bonkers on the bus, I must admit, because I was just like, <laughs> the bus god I love doing that on the bus people think you're so maniacal so well, fun I just like it and also it means that you get a bit of space because people don't want to sit next yeah. to you <laughs> exactly but yeah very funny very witty and absolutely brilliant I'm obsessed thank you just we <laughs> obsessed just we obsessed God. very much so <laughs> Lydia are you going to do your final question or a week because I'm just looking at the time now it's all right we'll skip it I mean it was groundbreaking but oh my god what was it I can be quick I was literally just gonna ask you about uh what your literary influences are well let's ask that please yes we like that question I love it no okay okay you know I can do this I can do this um so okay my favorite author is Ali Smith a Scottish writer who I'm obsessed with her book how to be both changed my life and made me drop out of law and do English literature instead like um love her and then otherwise, I would say, this is so basic, but like in the best possible way, I love Sylvia Plath. I love her like fiction, but I more love her journals. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm feeling a bit sad about the world, I just rewrite, reread, <laughs> rewrite her journals. I do it in my way. <laughs> um, <laughs> reread her journals. And, uh, <laughs> sorry. I said that's an odd hobby to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's my daily ritual let me write her journals I would like to read Um, those actually if you rewrote them (laughs) (laughs) so so her and then like just so many I who else do I love I mean I like oh maybe I shouldn't say this I like Deborah I love Deborah Levy's fiction I don't like her non-fiction as much but all of her fiction really really speaks to me and then just any young woman who writes something really really funny like 
Patricia Lockwood kills me and I'm just always inspired by how funny she is and how kind of bizarre and I just want to bring that kind of manic humour to whatever Mm. I do. Well, I I cannot wait to read what you write next. Are you working on anything new? Um, So at the moment I am turning Green Dot into a television show. So I I know, right? (laughs) Our reactions, I'm sorry, they were silent but they were large. (laughs) This is, I'm not even... Like, I don't even mean that, I don't, I don't say this lightly, this is, like, the best news I'll have today. Like, this is, <laughs> like, my my day could not go from here. Like, th- that is the best Done. news. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. So I'm writing the, the screenplay and I'm working with a, a British production company, actually, and a British channel or whatever it is. I am um, calling my so... agent right after this yeah, and right being like, right please submit me for this. Thank you. <laughs> Please, absolutely, yes, I would love that. Um, but yeah, so I'm doing that, so that's fun because I haven't written a screenplay before this project, so that's a, a learning curve. But like, I love dialogue, and so that's good. So I'm doing that, and then I am yeah just submitted my PhD, so that's done, which is great, incredible. And now I'm kind of starting a new fiction project, but it's in very early stages. But it's going to be more of a story over a much longer period of time about two women. I'm Amazing. so excited. Yeah. I am. Um, yeah. I am excited for your next book, but I cannot like my brain can't compute the fact that it's <laughs> going to be an adaptation. I always talk about adaptations on the podcast, and I've been yeah. mithering Lydia for the longest time to let me do a, an adaptation series, which our long listening listeners will will <laughs> will have heard me say many times. I really I'm rooting for this adaptation series that I want. I just want to talk about adaptations and. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited about this. And I love when the writer of a book is involved in the adaptation because I think it just makes it so much better. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully I don't bastardise it because I don't know how to write for television. No, don't pull but, this uh, away from I wasn't going to say no, so... Yeah. absolutely not uh, and I genuinely will be messaging my agent after this and be like there is something in the yes. works that I have to be in thank you I don't care Please. if I'm somebody that serves her coffee like I need to something <laughs> needs to happen here um my one of my best <gasps> friends has just published a novel and I've said to her from day one Wonderful. if um if it ever gets adapted I need to be in it and it's set between Manchester and New York and there is this Manchester washerwoman in like the 18th century who leans out a window and shouts like the equivalent of you all right, love. And I said, I I can play that. I can, I can do that. Like (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so good. What's the book? The Knowing. The Knowing. Okay. I have to write it down. What's the name of the author? Emma Hines. All right. It's going on the list. And we are going to book tickets, of course, to come and come and meet you in person because that's very exciting. We'll have have t-shirts. What are the <laughs> what are the dates that you're going to be in the UK? Because I feel like we can put links to things in the show notes. Well, I'm going to be there from the first of Feb until the twentieth. Amazing. Um, but yeah, the... so this this episode is out on the thirty first of Jan. So perfect. They can all book perfect. tickets for that. Well, so I mean, London are going to Waterstones Piccadilly on the eighth of February, and that one's with Pandora Sykes, a big mm. fancy one. Love Pandora. Um, yeah, I haven't met her, but she seems great. She's great. Uh, and then Liverpool on the 12th with Caroline Corcoran, um, who also seems lovely, but I don't know her personally. I don't know anyone. And then Manchester Teensgate on the 13th. And then there's 
some other dates which I can tell you about. Amazing. Okay, well, we'll pop all of those in the show notes. Now, really quickly, I love to finish on recommendations and I have a feeling that you'll have some good ones. So it can be anything, TV, film, podcast, music, books, anything that you want to recommend. Okay. All right, let's do this. Well, I'm going to try and get some Australian stuff in here because I feel like people never know about it. So, okay, the best Australian television show to come out in the last year is called Deadlock. Dead and then Lock, as in like Loch Ness Monster. And it's set in Tasmania, which is like the island at the bottom of Australia. And it is a crime, like a mystery show, but it's also a comedy. And it's so funny. It's about like some killer is only killing men and they have to like, you know, work out who. So it's it's a genuinely gripping murder mystery, but it's so funny. Like hard mm-hmm. recommend. Book would be Madison Godfrey, who is another Australian and it is like a prose poetry memoir, which sounds like maybe a bit hard to read, but like it's not. It's so funny and it's about kind of Maddie is non-binary and about like inhabiting different gender spaces, but there's just the best poem in there about like finding kneecap sexy. It's just really funny. <laughs> um, I don't need to know more than that. I'm sold. <laughs> it's so good. And the book that I recommend who's it's not Australian but I just love and I don't think it gets enough love is um The Animators by Kayla Ray Whitaker. Mm-hmm. Uh she's an American author and it's a story about two best friends who meet in art school who end up animating films and one is gay and the other is straight and there's some unrequited love going on there but then it kind of becomes like a road trip book where they kind of go back to weird states in America to revisit their trauma it's like so much it's just <laughs> like I reread it every year and I think everyone should read it oh, wow a reread we're all we always love people that come on with a reread because it means it's really good yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's so good i'm adding that to my wish list asap madeline where can our listeners find you on social media oh my god shit i should remember my handles <laughs> so i have instagram and twitter um on instagram it's madeline underscore gray underscore and then i think on twitter it's like the opposite of that it's like gray underscore madeline underscore because clearly <laughs> i was not the first madeline gray to get to either of these channels i love that and if you would like to buy madeline's book please do um, as far as i'm aware our australian listeners can already buy it they've had it for a couple of months and it'll be yeah. out in the uk tomorrow when this episode goes out um it's the first of feb oh shit true yeah yeah wow. so this will go out on the 31st of jan so um yes you can buy it tomorrow in all good bookshops and oh my god it's very exciting <laughs> is it out anywhere else or am i right in thinking it's, it's yeah it's out in the u.s on the 28th of february and it is also out right now in germany in german oh wow ah! gorgeous yeah. amazing yeah. so our u.s listeners can pre-order which is very important for debut novelists so please do that go buy it the link is in the show notes go follow uh madeline and if you want to follow us you can do so at a pair of bookends pod on instagram and at a pair of bookends on twitter and tiktok and if you enjoyed this episode please don't forget to rate review and subscribe so we can reach more of you but more than anything madeline thank you so much for joining us today it's honestly been so amazing talking to you and we absolutely adored your book so thank you oh thank you honestly this has been like the most fun interview i've done in yonks this is oh, right. thank you stop can we be friends please thank you <laughs> please yes <laughs> well we'll see you in manchester 
<laughs> yeah, bloody see you at Dainscape. Let's go out yes. to, I don't know, what's it called? Ancoats. That's a cool place. Let's yeah, Ancoats is the best. Let's do that. Gorgeous. Yeah. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, listeners, for listening and goodbye. <laughs>